Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. Great to be with you. And today's a part two on how grieving the pandemic can unlock revelation of God and ourselves. Now, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship is about uh, restoring the missing pieces of biblical discipleship into the 21st century global church. And we, like every church through history, are, we're products of our culture and our time in history uh, and the blind spots that come with that. So one of the missing pieces uh, that we talk a lot about in Emotionally Healthy Discipleship uh, is uh, enlarging your heart through grief and loss or finding God's treasure in grief and loss. And we talk about that in the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course and the book and in the upcoming Emotionally Healthy Discipleship book. It's such a huge theme in Scripture. In fact, there's so much of it in Scripture that we see it in two-thirds of the Psalms, uh, most of the book of Job, book of Jeremiah, and again, of course, the whole book of Lamentations, life of Jesus, the list goes on. And, uh, uh, you know, again, understanding Israel and history uh, can't be understood without the destruction of Jerusalem in 586 BC. Uh, that's why we don't have a wailing wall in present day uh, evangelicalism, uh, the charismatic church. We may visit the wailing wall in Israel and take a few pictures of it and visit it, but uh, while it may be a part of ancient Israel's history and spiritual formation, uh, it is not much of the Western church's formation today. And so we find ourselves in need of a very mature application of this biblical truth in the midst of COVID-19, uh, this global pandemic, where right now, at least in the United States, we have over 460,000 people who have died already, and it's rising uh, the grief and loss uh, is massive uh, on many, many different scales. And so, and, I, and I've been very saddened, particularly saddened, as I've uh, listened and observed uh, many church leaders and others just wanting to move on from the pandemic as quick as possible. Let's get vaccinated. Uh, let's go forward. And so last week I did a part one uh, by spending uh, time reviewing the three phases of biblical grieving, which is very different than the world's way of grieving loss. And we, I did so out of the book of Lamentations. And, and if you remember, there's three phases of uh, biblical grieving. Uh, we pay attention to it. We feel it uh, before the Lord. We wait in the confusing in between. And then we let the old birth the new. Uh, and I encourage you to memorize those three phases. They overlap, of course, because you, 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 you need it. I need it. We need it as we move through life. And they're so countercultural from the world's way of either denying or medicating uh, or numbing oneself from the grief and loss. So if you haven't listened to that podcast, please do uh, go back and do that. But this week, I want to build on that. I want to deepen it. I want to widen it. I want to make some specific applications of things you can do uh, personally and as a leader uh, in this unique historical moment that we're living in. Uh, in fact, I would say that it's very likely that we'll be referring back to this pandemic for the rest of our earthly lives. And we have a spiritual responsibility to uh, discern and discover uh, and pay attention to God's treasures that he has for us as the church of Jesus Christ in the world right now. And uh, I'm going to talk about in just a few minutes about uh, an, an apprenticeship with grief. In other words, it's not just a feeling, but it's actually a skill. Uh, and that we learn and we grow in. Uh, and uh, then I'll also give some, again, 10 practical ideas to get you started at least. Because we are building culture uh, for the sake of the world. Uh, and uh, church culture, revolution, 
In fact, I want to invite you to go, if you've not read our ebook, Church Culture Revolution, a six-part vision that deeply changes lives, I want to invite you to go download that 15-minute ebook at emotionallyhealthy.org slash churchculture. It's emotionallyhealthy.org slash churchculture. It's a free ebook, and you'll discover six keys for growing a healthy church culture. Uh, one small piece within one of the uh, keys is uh, about grief and loss. But let's let's go into this right now. Let's expand on it uh, in this moment of the global can- pandemic. So let me take my comments from Ecclesiastes 3, uh, that very famous text where the author writes, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot. Then he writes in verse four, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. And so it's that phrase, a time to weep and a time to laugh. There's a, there's a time and a season for everything. Now, it's seasons is such a, a fantastic metaphor for the Christian life. Uh, and metaphors are important. They're more than just literary devices. They're, they actually are ways that we uh, name our experience of life. That's what makes them so powerful. And so, for example, some people have a metaphor for life as, you know, life is like a game of chance. You know, some win, some lose. And they create this kind of fatalistic uh, attitude about losing or obsession about beating the odds. That's a, a way of uh, looking at life, a way of viewing life. Another, uh, life is a battle. It's all about warfare. You get the enemy or the enemy gets you. And so this is kind of result is uh, not just looking for a demon behind every bush, but this state of siege or paranoia. Uh, that's another way of looking at life. Another is, is uh, it's, and this is very common in uh, in our day, is seeing the world from an idea of manufacturing. Uh, we, we, we don't grow our lives. We, we make our lives. We make friends. We make time. We make money. We make a living. Uh, we make babies. And we kind of reduce life to uh, dealing with raw material. Uh, and it's kind of this arrogant conviction that I'm in control. But the season metaphor is so profound and uh, it's, there's truth in those other metaphors. There's some, there's some truths you can gain from it, but uh, season is just, it's such an agricultural, biblical image, very, very powerful and prominent throughout scripture because seeds move through life stages uh, in an endless cycle of seasons. And, and there's this idea of journey that never ends. Uh, it's not denying struggle or joy, loss or gain, darkness or light. It just encourages us to embrace all of life and finding in the different seasons opportunities for growth. And uh, another beautiful uh, notion of seasons is that we're not in control. Uh, we, we are dependent on the cycle of seasons to live. And this runs headlong against a culture uh, which we live in where we can get whatever we want when we want it. And it runs headlong into our desperate need, of course, to be in charge. So this reality of seasons we see in Ecclesiastes 3 and other places in Scripture just makes demands on us as well as sustains us in, in the process. So I, I say all that because my own journey with grief and loss was non-existent uh, for the first 17 years of my Christian life. Uh, it wasn't until age 36 uh, that I actually uh, saw and really, I mean, actually experienced personally the, the fact that there was a place for grieving loss and biblically and uh, and it was a, just a shock to me. And, and uh, again, 
my pre-Christian days as well as 17 years into my Christian life, even pastoring, uh, I hadn't even begun the journey of uh, apprenticing and learning about grief and loss. And I was very much uh, right in tune with the heart of Western culture, which is everything must go up and to the right. It's all about progress and positivity, bigger, better, faster. I want them to be happy. I want to feel good. My fa- my attitude was like, hey, listen, let's have faith. Let's get over it. Let's move on. And, uh, you know, as far as I was concerned, anything to do with grief or sadness or loss uh, was in the way. Uh, I, I, my attitude was things will get better. And so I just didn't do vulnerability uh, because sadness and vulnerability do go hand in hand, hand. I didn't allow myself to go down that road. And what I did not understand was that God dwells in darkness as well as light. I don't know if you've ever prayed through Psalm 18, for example, where it says, He, God, parted the heavens and came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. And it speaks in Psalm 18, He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him. Uh, in fact, Gregory of Nyssa, the great you know, fourth century theologian, uh, wrote quite a bit about it's in pure darkness that the infinite light of God is dwells. And he writes about how, yes, God came to Moses in dazzling light in the fire of the burning bush, but God also led Moses into thick darkness at Mount Sinai in Exodus 20. Uh, and uh, so like many others, people and so many other pastors and leaders I know, I just didn't do darkness. I didn't do sadness. I, I And it was a large contributor to my own shallow spirituality and the shallow spirituality that I was cultivating uh, in those I was leading. So I have been in a long apprenticeship with sorrow and learning to grieve. And I actually, this word, an apprenticeship with sorrow, I, I got that term from Francis Weller's book, The Wild Edge of Sorrow, where he mentions that grief is not simply an emotion, it's actually a skill. And, he, and I love the phrase, actually, that there's an apprenticeship with sorrow and, and loss. And again, let's think with me of an apprenticeship because uh, uh, an apprenticeship, whether it's with, if you're going to be a, a mason or a carpenter or a painter or even a master chef, you're going to go through a long process, a long initiation. You don't know much about it. And you've got to become familiar with that craft. So you'll be a novice. I think let's just take, for example, let's just use the trades of electrician or carpenter or, or mason. You'll be a novice for the first couple of years. And novices are humble, right? You're carrying tools or brushes. You're, you're, you're a beginner. You're a learner. Now, in the same way, we don't know much about grief uh, initially. It's qualities. It's textures. We're just so used to going numb or distracting ourselves or making plans to avoid it. So we've got to invite people into an apprenticeship with even just how does how do I grieve God's way? And, and then I move into, in this apprenticeship, I move into becoming a journeyman or a journeywoman, which is that five to eight year period where uh, it's kind of, it's it, where I'm learning. I'm, 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 I'm doing some of that work, but I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm just journeying and learning for five, seven, eight years. And then at some point I become a master after 10 or 15 years, uh, a master carpenter, a master mason, a master painter, a master chef. But you've got this long apprenticeship of novice, journeyman slash journeywoman, and then a master. Uh, and again, I have a son-in-law who is a uh, mason, journeyman mason, and he's been years learning stone masonry, uh, but he's not yet a master. So so in, in when we talk about an apprenticeship with grief, we're talking about 
growing in our capacity to actually turn toward it and not away from it. Uh, that, that means learning from history and practicing. It's that long haul. Uh, it's showing up. It's letting yourself be instructed by those who've gone before, yes, before us. And you know, how do I turn towards grief? Uh, I'm talking about paying attention, waiting, letting the old birth the new. Those are three ways to kind of get a handle on the process. But how do I actually do it? It takes tremendous strength and faith to enter the darkness involved with grief and loss. It's a long process. So I'm going to say this uh, in the midst of this podcast. I'm in my own apprenticeship and growth uh, in it. Um, uh, and so I'm very aware I'm not a master. Uh, and especially I realize that as we're in a season of collective grief, uh, but I'm still growing. And so it's interesting because I, I hear people use use phrases like, oh, I have such a heavy heart or my, my feet feel like lead or I feel like I'm dying uh, or the weight and gravity of sorrow or I'm thrown to my knees. And and so again, we, we usually throw these phrases around, but again, for most of us, we, we push it away rather than welcome it. And there's a certain maturity and depth that happens in grief and loss, that, that in grief, grief and loss and that decay, that shedding, the things falling apart, that the vulnerability of it. Instead of get over it and get on with it, uh, there's actually in this, the darkness that comes as grief is actually a treasure that shapes us. It creates in us a capacity to hold more of life. Uh, if we'll, again, stay with it and lean into it and see ourselves as apprentices in this process, uh, there's actually a spaciousness that happens in our own soul, the widening and deepening of our capacity to hold God and hold others and hold ourselves. One of my favorite books on grief and loss is Jerry Sitzer's A Grace Disguised. And he he's where I got the phrase uh, in his book, A Grace Disguised, that uh, sorrow, instead of shutting him down, actually enlarged his heart, enlarged his soul. And I love that because that's the treasure of it. It, uh, it does something so profound in us. We don't get over it. We, we don't get over loss. We actually absorb loss into our lives. And that's what makes this work so holy and sacred. You know, it's interesting. So, so much, so often we talk about things very glibly uh, and we we get these truths and we just, bam, we're preaching them and teaching them to everybody else. And we almost, we're almost into like premature revelation uh, rather than allow some truths to, to be held inside of us so they gestate and ripen. Uh, so often we have truths intellectually in our heads, but they remain on the surface and uh, we don't let them kind of go in to have time to gestate, deepen, and ripen. Uh, and and really, I, I think grief and loss is one of those where it just needs time of an apprenticeship inside of us. So so there's a there's an individual element to grieving, and we see this in Scripture uh, very often in the, in the Psalms, but we also see a communal element in grieving. Uh, again, we see that in Scripture so clearly in ancient Israel. Uh, just Psalms alone, the fact that so many of the Psalms are laments that were meant to be sung in worship is so instructive for us. Besides all, you know, lamentations, etc., and the example of David's life. That, but you know, this is the emotionally healthy leader podcast. So, uh, we are meant to lead others in grief before the Lord, 
as God's people. Now, that, 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 that goes for you whether you're leading a church or a ministry or a community or a team or your family, uh, your friends, the people you're influencing, that there's an element, yes, on an individual level, personally, I, I need to do my own work grieving, but also I, I want to lead others in that process as part of my discipling and deepening of other people in the name of Jesus. So the church is uniquely positioned. We, we are so uniquely positioned to serve people during these critical moments of disorientation uh, in life. And COVID-19 is one massive disorientation happening in the world right now. Uh, and we are just uniquely positioned uh, as God's people, as communities, to lead them. And again, I think I, I for me, David is uh, such a great example of that, of, of um, building into the culture of God's people as he was king. So let me share with you 10 practical ideas uh, to for you to consider uh, in your own leading of others in this area of grief and loss. Now, uh, okay, so so they're going to vary here. And, and I, I'm, please, you build on these ideas. These are some initial ideas to get you started. What might it look like to, to, to lead others and equip others in this area of grief and loss before the Lord? So one, I mentioned this last week, uh, I, I, I continue to do regularly is, uh, is using dinner uh, to, to invite those who I'm, whoever I'm having dinner with Let's be still and silent before the Lord uh, and remember those who have died uh, as a result of COVID-19, whose lives were cut short uh, regardless of their age. And really, to me, it's doing what the three friends of Job did when he was uh, outside the city in the ash heap in uh, Job chapter 2. They sat in silence with him for seven days. They didn't stay silent. They should have. But it's a remembering. And it's just been a good practice for me and then whoever I'm with to invite in to remember uh, those who've died. And and I've appreciated reading uh, stories of people who've died from around the world in different places, uh, in newspapers and the internet. That's one. Secondly is to take time to actually remember people uh, who have died in, in, in your church or your ministry uh, maybe with some friends or, or family, naming them. Uh, in other words, these aren't just numbers of, you know, whatever, a million, two million people who've died in the world, but actually human beings made in the image of God. And we actually create kind of a, a warm space. Uh, I, and again, I, I like reading stories of people on a personal level, but to take, secondly, just actually remember people. And of course, here in New York City, uh, we've been hit quite hard uh, by the pandemic, and I've got specific people I know who've died um, that uh, are important to be remembered, you know, from our own church uh, and folks that we've known. And you may not be there uh, where you're living, knowing people personally, but uh, you sure can remember others in that case. So thirdly is to actually equip people to identify and reflect on their losses personally and in the world. So I'm talking about, for example, maybe offering a workshop uh, that, or, or a, you know, a seminar that applies the theology of grief and loss to the transitions people experience throughout the seasons of life. I mean, people are always going through transitions, right? Divorces, a retirement, a death, a serious illness, a geographic move, a child becoming a young adult, a job loss, um, 
you know, a broken relationship. But but to the losses are such a big part of every single person in our that we're leading in our team and our community and our church that to offer some kind of a, a workshop about the phases of loss, some time to actually maybe journal, uh, reflect on it, is it, such a gift to offer because people don't have a framework. All they're getting is what they're getting from the larger culture or what, how their families of origin did loss. A fourth practical idea is actually to teach or preach a message on on biblical expressions of grief. Uh, you know, I, I did series uh, multiple times. I, I did a series on the book of, uh, book of Psalms, many of which are laments. I did a series on Jeremiah and Lamentations or the book of Job, Life of David. These are all useful. Uh, Jesus himself in Gethsemane, they're all useful in giving people uh, a biblical basis and a framework for grieving loss, God's way versus the culture's. Uh, I, I've invited people at one point when I was lead pastor at our church to, to write songs, to write psalms and poems out of their experience with God through life, uh, especially laments. Very, very powerful. Fourth practical idea is actually create opportunities or, or rituals or grieving spaces to give people permission to, to grieve. So, for example, I mean, I, you can offer a half-day or a one-day guided retreat on grief. Uh, and if I was leading one, I would do things like, you know, I'd have silence and stillness be a strong component because uh, the, the practice of silence and stillness is critical to grief and loss. Uh, critical. Uh, and it's kind of ballast in a, in, a, in a ship to keep it from sinking. And I think we need to lead our people into some spiritual disciplines like that. And I, I would do something like have some guided journaling, maybe some sentence stems to help people journal. Uh Things like I remember, you know, da, 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 or I miss, or I, I lost, or I mourn, or my tears. And then I might move them into small groups after an individual time of, of journaling and then maybe come back to a large group and doing some teaching out of that. But the goal of a guided retreat for those who are interested and feel a need for it is so they encounter Jesus, that Jesus was in, is in this place, but they didn't even realize it. Uh, another option within that creating opportunities or grieving spaces uh, it's not just a thing like a retreat. I'm still on number five here. Is actually, uh, uh, you know, think of think of uh, we have monuments and places of mourning in the world for places where there's been tremendous loss. We have like, for example, a, a Vietnam veterans memorial. We have a Holocaust museum. Uh, we've got a wounded knee massacre monument. We have the National Museum of African American History and Culture. The, we have the National Memorial for Justice and for Peace and Justice. Uh, for uh, victims of lynchings. Uh, we have the 9-11 Memorial Museum. We have the Hiroshima Peace Memorial, Rwanda Museum for, of that genocide, and other important museums and monuments. Could you imagine with me a, a, a memorial or a wall, temporary or permanent, for all those who've died of COVID? I mean, we will surpass 500,000 deaths in the United States. I mean, that is worthy of a memorial, a place of just grief. Again, consider maybe a wall or something temporary, maybe something permanent down the road. Something to think about. Uh, another practical idea, my sixth is, is to invite, to, to is, is really integrating songs of lament. Now, invite your worship team, maybe, or people you know to actually work on finding some laments that work in your context. I, I have a friend who was a professional musician, and he wrote some songs that were published uh, with a Christian recording company many years ago. 
uh, and he was quite popular. And then he eventually wrote some laments after he got into emotional health and discipleship. He sent them to the music publisher, recording company, and they said, no, 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 we, no nobody's going to buy laments. And they refused to publish it because churches don't want, they want happy songs that are going to lift them up. Listen, I'm all for happy songs. Again, we just need a balance. We need a season. So imagine now, uh, when, for when we do gather all back together, I know some people are gathering already, but having a place for laments integrated into your larger worship as a church, that's going to take some uh, some work uh, to do it in a way that fits your particular church, uh, your movement, your history, uh, that connects with people. And uh, if I was a leader, I would definitely have folks who are involved in worship beginning to wrestle with that and look into that and study and learn. A seventh great idea is to integrate testimonies. I'm talking about people maybe who've had COVID-19, stories of family members, working with them to integrate testimonies of how God's met them through their grief and loss um, into part of uh, the worship experience uh, together. Another eighth uh, idea is to, to consider having a special service for your church or community or the whole community or your team. Start thinking about that. I'm talking about a service which is a is a remembering service. It may be a, during church or maybe it, maybe it doesn't fit for you during church service, maybe on a Sunday evening. It's a time to remember. It's like, you know, I, I've never heard the phrase about a blue Christmas uh, your special service is done often around Christmas time, created for people to grieve their losses while holding on to the reality that Jesus is the light and savior of the world. Uh, it, it's, it, it gives people, of course, Christmas for many people is really painful because uh, they've had the previous year, someone's died, they know they've lost a marriage maybe or a job or security or a sense of direction, they're battling cancer, uh, they're in a health crisis, uh, tra maybe tragedy of war or refugees or poverty of injustice, something. And so Christmas is really blue. And so... Uh, I, I've, we've done it ourselves and created a special service that was called the Blue Christmas uh, to give people a framework, a special service to actually grieve and aid them. And it was very, very powerful. Something to consider, working on something like that. Uh, ninthly, you may want to consider another idea for integrating grief and losses. Consider making available a grief and loss support group. Uh, you're in a grief and loss support group in general or in particular people impacted by COVID-19, family members. Uh, but again, I just, even just a general grief and loss support group, give it a good name. Uh, uh, what, an, what a gift. You can offer that to the community, not just people in your church. God, God loves the world. And uh, again, we are the people who hold grief and loss before the Lord because we are in our own apprenticeship with sorrow. And then finally, I would just be encouraging people tently of, uh, to gather with three or four friends, to be with another person to tell their stories, not to get fixed, not to get saved by a person, but to someone who can welcome them, uh, to be with someone else, to be acknowledged. And, uh, you know, in this difficult time of COVID when we're not gathering, people need to be acknowledged. So you may want to just be encouraging groups, uh, even around the issue of sharing some of their griefs and losses. But again, we do it differently, right? We do it around a, a context of uh, because Jesus is, is Lord and, and he's on the throne and God is good. And I think of Julian of Norwich, who in the 1300s in England, uh, in a time of enormous political, social, and economic upheaval in her day, I mean, she, she, was, she lived during a time of the bubonic plague or the Black Death, which killed 30 to 60% of Europe's population. 
she lived during a time of a hundred year war between England and France. The church was divided during her time. It was three popes at one time. Uh, the monasteries were in decline and greedy. Uh, people like John Wycliffe, who would emerge during her time preaching the Bible, you know, and the truth, he was declared a heretic and burned at the stake, he along with all of his books. But somehow she, she in the midst of her time of prayer, received such a revelation that some of you may be familiar with, where she wrote, all, is, all shall be well. And she met, you know, Jesus appeared to her and says, you shall see yourself that in all manner of things shall be well. The Lord showed me what is impossible to you is not impossible to me. I shall save my word in all things, and I shall make all things well. I mean, basically a summary of scripture. Beautiful, uh, beautiful showings are called by of, of her. But I think we offer to people in the midst of the uh, tensions, in the midst of the pain of loss and grief, we offer people a certainty of a future of God on a throne. Uh, and we're building cultures to that towards that end. We're developing mothers and fathers of the faith. We're equipping people. Uh, we desperately need elder men, elder women in our churches who have be, who've been who are masters in grief and loss and they have lots of space in their souls to hold people. Uh, we want to be building new cultures in our churches. And so this actually is a, this pandemic uh, is off, offering us a moment of doing some deep discipleship in our churches. Again, let me encourage you to download our ebook, Church Culture Revolution, uh, a six part vision that deeply changes lives. A 15 minute read, uh, a free ebook at www.emotionallyhealthy.org. Check that out. Remember, as we do this kind of work, uh, people will get triggered. Uh, in other words, we end up regressing very often to their eight-year-old experience of blocking grief out to survive, disassociating. Listen, when we, re when we repeat the same immature behaviors over and over again and we get triggered, uh, we've got to help people grow up out of that to become adults in handling grief and loss differently in Jesus. Uh, because when a trigger is in charge of our lives, we are not. And we want people to pay attention to the Holy Spirit inside of them in their bodies. This is what discipleship is all about, that we might all meet Jesus, and then out of meeting him ourselves, we offer him to the world. Thank you, everybody. It's been such a joy to be with you. I pray God's good hand upon you, and may your apprenticeship uh, with grief and loss uh, go some wonderful steps forward, that you yourself might be a gift to the world. And we might build churches that are a blessing to the world, out of a depth in Jesus. Uh, that we have received as a gift from him. God bless everybody. Have a great day.